podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, soon to be 14 and 12. I mean, just pick a number. The Big 12 could be that many teams at any point in the near or distant future. Who the hell knows? I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us for this Thursday episode. Uh, we have a fantastic interview coming up. We're talking Big 12 baseball with the boys from College Baseball Nation. Always enjoy having John and Kyle on the show. We're going to talk about Texas Tech and why... Texas Tech fans, they're probably a little bit closer to the bubble than you think, but not so close that you should be worried yet. Uh, Oklahoma State, who's going to win the conference, how many teams, and and their CBR rating, which I love, and it's fantastic, and is uh, has been up to this point a fairly accurate predictor, even better than RPI, of who's not only going to make the postseason, but who will be hosting a regional. So we're going to get to that in just a little bit. Speaking of Texas Tech, it's Thursday. You know we're going to talk about softball. And when one of the Big 12 programs relieves their head coach, especially uh, before their second season as head coach comes to an end, it's definitely a topic we are going to discuss. If it's softball, my good friend Melina Sanchez joining us again. Melina, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. Ready to get this thing going. I know you are. I know you are. And if we're talking Texas Tech, that means, yep, I smell tortillas. And if there's tortillas, there's takes. That, of course, is the name of the Texas Tech podcast in the 1012 Network. And if that is the show we're talking about, then our good friend Albie Shore of Tortillas and Takes is joining us. Albie, welcome back, man. What uh, what type of tortilla are you smelling? I mean, you, you get a, do y'all have roses in Stillwater? In, in Oklahoma? I don't know. I don't know how far stretch or how far roses stretches. Roses is like the most delicious tortillas. The tortilla factory popular in North Texas and West Texas. It's absolutely delicious. You can smell them from a mile away. And so roses. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know me, I live in Arkansas now, so I will have to go look for roses tortillas. They might have take a look. It's in Dallas. It so it might, it might stretch out there. It could, it could. I'm gonna have to go check this out. Okay. Uh, Texas tech earlier this week, uh, announced uh, that they had, uh, relieved. I think is the fun word that they used. Uh, Texas tech softball head coach, Sammy Ward and her entire coaching staff effective immediately. 
Uh, Kirby Hokut in the statement release said, quote, we believe it is the in the best short and long-term interest for us to make a change at this point. We have very high expectations for success in all our programs, and we believe we can be a prominent softball program. Abby, I'm going to, I'm going to get your opinion here in just a minute. Um, basically what Hokut's saying is they were, the staff was fired uh, before their second season had come to an end, uh, a head coach he had hired, which is not a great look. Uh, and I can make a case that Sammy Ward's second season as the head coach at Texas Tech was better than season one. Uh, look, season one, 21 and 26, three and 15 in conference play. This year, 22 and 26, five and 13. It's only a two-game uptick in the Big 12, but the Big 12 is tough when you have Texas, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma who just don't give up losses to wins to anybody. And I can also make a very, very, very strong case that if you go look at the non-conference slate for Texas Tech last year compared to this year, it is night and day. They've been both, both the Clearwater Invitational and the Mary Nutter Classic, which are basically the two best non-conference uh, neutral side tournaments that you can partake in where Texas Tech struggled, but they played well and just didn't come up with wins. If this is really about performance like he says it is, I don't think this is a good look two years in. I don't think that is a good look. But the real question we have to ask is, is that actually why this coaching staff was relieved of duty? Uh, you will remember that Sammy Ward was hired two years ago after uh, previous head coach Adrian Gregory quit back in 2020 after allegations of misconduct. It wasn't good. Uh, when Texas Tech announced that Sammy Ward had been fired, sorry, relieved of her duties, which is just a fun thing to say for some reason, there were some quote tweets to the initial tweet from Texas Tech Red Raiders Athletics uh, Twitter account <clears throat> for some former players who made some comments that might lead you to believe that once again, potentially, a Texas Tech head coach had to be um, let go uh, for reasons other than just performance on the field. Now, obviously, nothing has been confirmed. We have no information from Texas Tech in that regard. I'm not sure if that would be a better reason for them to be fired or not. Uh, so, Albie. I need your opinion here. Um, what is just your overall take on on what is happening with Texas Tech softball at the moment? I mean, my general take is if whatever the uh, idea was, was to try to sweep this under the rug as much as possible, it didn't work. <laughs> it did not work. Softball, once again, for the second time in, two, in a little over or about three years, has a big red target on its back of what the hell is going on. Um, you are right on what, on the aspect of it. If it's just wins and losses, which uh, Kirby Hoka's statement makes it seem like this is a bad, this is a bad uh, firing, relieving of duty, whatever you want to call it. It's bad. Like it's yeah, she's. I'm, I mean, it's. I'm not saying that she was just knocking it out of the park, but you saw progress. She actually has been doing a pretty good, pretty good job recruiting. She's really hit the transfer portal hard. She got some relievers. She's recognizing some of the pieces that were missing previously and trying to fulfill them. But when you, like you were saying, Philip, in a conference with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, man, come on now. What, what you going to do? We got getting run ruled by Oklahoma. It is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, what, what are we going to do in this instance? And I know that Adrian Gregory, and I think some, some softball fans looked at the 2019 season, looked at where Gregory had the team going and wanted Ward just to build off of that. And there very well could be that as well of thinking of looking at that and saying, well, how are you not able to just build off of the success that was already in place at the same time? It's, I, I, it's just two, the two seasons isn't enough to really gauge whether or not they're, they're able to do good their jobs. Like there's just not even, 
that's not really how you're going to be able to do it. I mean, people, we talk about the football team. People were, were, some people were mad at firing Matt Wells in the third season, right? So before the second season's even over, that's kind of egregious. I think another big point is that the entire coaching staff was was fired before the season ended. And that is virtually unheard of unless there's something fishy going on. Yep. Right. Like that's so, and it's, it's nothing. I mean, if you take Kirby at his word, just saying it's wins and losses, that's just a bad firing in general. That's one of those that it kind of rings around the coaching, you know, forum. Every coach knows about this. Oh, man, that program fires coaches after a, a year and three quarters, but um, it doesn't seem like that. I mean, it's, 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 I know that at this point, Tech's very much a program that likes to really try to sweep things under the rug, stay really low key, stay like eventually hoping that all kind of sifts away. Um, But it does seem like something, I don't know what exactly it was, but something happened. You mentioned the quote tweets, you mentioned from Heaven Burton coming up, Brie Russell also saying, mentioning something. And it's very all ambiguous, but some effect of something when it comes to whether I don't, I haven't seen anything when it comes to physical abuse, but it seemed like there was some verbal abuse being thrown around, potentially some, some scholarships being uh, threatened, scholarships being withheld, things of that nature, but nothing's really been confirmed. We don't know anything. Nobody's coming out and saying anything. There's that hasn't even been any leaks. And me personally, I feel like, you know, tech might want to leak something to the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, right? Like the athletic departments may want to just say like, Oh, we didn't say that. I can't believe, you know, Red Raider Sports, plug, plug. I can't believe that y'all, y'all got it. Oh, man. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. How did you figure out the truth? You dastardly de- devils. <laughs> like, that's kind of when he... Because right now, this doesn't look like a really good firing until you figure that out. I think the flip side of that is once it is figured out that it was something else was happening there, which I would imagine eventually we'll figure, find that out. Uh, um, the question becomes, you know, Kirby, now that you've now hired... Uh, what did I say the other day? Four coaches that have been, um, you've now hired four coaches that have been accused of abuse, some sort of abuse, four coaches that have been known for this. And so that's just not a good look. One way to look at it is say, at least this time he got ahead of it instead of waiting for a report to come out. He, he got ahead of it before all of that. And that's one way to look at it. There's also the flip side of this man, four times. Like you, you're not vetting beforehand, you know, <laughs> twice in the same program. It's uh, just all in all, this is not a good look. Yeah. <clears throat> I want, we're going to talk about her Cobra Holcutt here in a second. Uh, Melina, I just, I want to kind of get your, your thoughts on this uh, as someone who obviously loves and follows softball. I mean, it, it, from the, from the outside looking in, I mean, how do you view the way this kind of makes the Texas tech job look? Yeah. I was actually going to bring that up. It doesn't make the Texas tech job look too desirable. I mean, and you see what happened with, you know, Sammy Ward getting fired at two seasons, kind of Matt Wells doing the same thing. Usually you give coaches around three years to get their own recruiting classes in, um, kind of build, their, uh, build up their own culture inside a program. But obviously Texas Tech, Hokut is not giving them that kind of time. So I don't think it makes the Tech job an extremely desirable landing spot. Word is that Sammy Ward was not Hokut's first option, that two or three people turned down the job before Sammy Ward accepted. Also, word on the street is, is when her and her staff was at LMU, they had the same issues there. I'm not saying they're true or not. Every year, well, when I played softball, I played Division II softball. Every year, the AD would send us a form that I would say, fill this out, tell us about the coaching staff, 
tell us what was great, give us some complaints. So maybe Hoka got a hold of those forms that the athletes had put in and said, wow, maybe I need to take a little bit of a deeper dive. These are some serious allegations. Maybe it's time to let Sammy Ward go. Uh, I do have a couple of coaching prospects in mind, well, hope, but yeah, let's, again, let's get to those in, in a minute. Well, real quick, to, yeah. to Melina, to your point. So those those uh, interviews, right? That was a big. That's basically what um, got Stallings fired from the women's for, from the women's side, right? And that's what actually prompted uh, Adrian Gregory's forced uh, forced removal, right? Was those interviews? And so that's now usually that does come at the end of the season. That's what happened for both Stallings and and Gregory. And we figured that out, you know, a couple a month or two after the season had ended. Um, so I guess the question does become like, when are these, when did this happen? Like, is it, are you still giving them out at the end of the year? Maybe this happened this year or since the Stallings and Gregory year come happening before the year ended, like what prompts this? And that could very well be it. Yeah. For Hokat, Billy Gillespie relieved because of uh, some allegations of misconduct. Let me just tell you that Billy Gillespie, that was, that was bad. Billy, like, bad. Billy Gillespie is real bad. bad. Yeah. Is real bad. Uh, Marlene Stallings, women's basketball, who we mentioned, Adrian Gregory, and, and now, some some concern over misconduct here, possibly. Again, we, we have no confirmation of anything. Nothing is official. And the tweets that we have seen from former players are um, not... Some are a little bit more specific than others, but they're still fairly broad and vague. Um, I want to get to this job. I think we need to talk Hoka just for a second here, Albie. I mean, you combine those with, with Matt Wells, now Sammy Ward. Uh, you can debate... Cliff Kingsbury, Chris Beard leaving. I can I can make a case that Mark Adams, really good hire. Tony Greystone, very good hire. I always forget that the Tubby coach there for a while. I'm not going to call that a great yeah. hire. That, no, that's, Tubby's to this day still my favorite Texas Tech coach. Tubby's, I'll give him Tubby. Okay, and Tim Tadlock. But outside of that, look, I know Hokut is a great uh, builder of resources and connections with the, the the alumni and connections with the boosters. But the number one most important job, aside from fundraising, is hiring coaches for the athletic department. And uh, Hokot's record is a, is a bit hit and miss here. Yeah. Here's the thing, though, is that he does that first part really, really, really well. Like when it comes to the fundraising and making money for Texas Tech part, he does that exceedingly well. As when it comes to the putting tech on a map outside of actually playing sports part, he does exceedingly well. And so I that is what keeps his job very safe because every every booster in West Texas loves Kirby Hoka. Right. He does what it's needed to make to make everybody's pockets fat. He does what it takes to really he's done a great job improving facilities. Right. The, the, the Womble Center for the basketball team is an amazing facility for both men and women's basketball. Um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the main reason why women's basketball is going to improve. I actually have no doubt about that because just because of how great the center is. Um, but flip side of that, like you said, I mean, it's that. So that part is going to keep him around for, for as long as he wants to wants the job. Um, and the, but the flip side of that is, yeah, like it's. Everybody talks about the great hire that is, you know, at the time, Chris Beard, but now Mark Adams and Tim Tadlock and Tony Greystone. But at the same time, like you, you have those, but you have a lot of L's. Like he hasn't got a women's basketball hiring right yet. Right. He hasn't, he hasn't at this gotten point, a softball hiring yet either. Hire yet, right? Exactly. He hasn't got a softball one yet either. Right. Yet either. So it's like, those are two sports. And I was, I was mentioning you or talking to you about it. Um, as far as what do tech fans actually care about? And right now we're seeing, we've had success recently in soccer on the women's sports side in soccer. Um, we, this last year is the most successful volleyball season we've had in ages. Um, 
But if all, if I, I think when it comes to women's sports fans for Texas Tech, if they could choose any team sport to just go all in on, it'd be women's basketball. But number two would honestly, in my opinion, be softball, right? Softball being good means a lot because it's one of the, it's also a sport that can bring in a lot more fans than, than you would typically see as well. So uh, yeah, I, I just, this program needs to turn around. So last three coaches for Texas Tech softball program, uh, Shannon Hayes, most successful program or coaching program history, uh, resigned. Never, not sure why. Not sure what happened. Uh, he seems to have disappeared for two years before heading down to the Division Two level to be a head coach uh, for five seasons, and is now the head coach at Grand Canyon. Um, not sure what happened there. You had the next head coach uh, resigned because of misconduct, and now you have a head coach who's been fired after two seasons. So I'm the last three head coaches. Time in Lubbock, and look, most head coaches' time at their jobs don't end well. I mean, that's just the reality. Mode, you know, I love the saying: you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Um, but they've also been somewhat unceremonious. You know, one misconduct, one at this, unless someone can fill in what happened with Shannon Hayes, uh, a bit surprising of a resignation, and now what's going on here with Sammy Ward? So. I mean, I, I have to be Albie. I mean, Melina kind of talked about it, but I mean, how do you view the Texas Tech softball job? I know you say that, that from a fan standpoint, it's, it would be the second best or most important uh, women's program to Texas Tech fans. How do you think the program actually views it? And in a in a in a changing Big Twelve, where Oklahoma and Texas are leaving, you can view that both two one of two ways. It is a little more open now, but. Losing those programs is going to, I think, make it harder for the Big 12 to get more teams into the postseason without having the opportunity to play Oklahoma and Texas, you know, three times each a year. Oklahoma State is very good. UCF is coming in. They should be a solid program. But I do think the Big 12 is going to take a hit in the reputation department. So it means you're going to have to be that much better for a real shot at not just making the postseason, but potentially hosting. So how do you view the Texas Tech job as it stands right now? Well, I think one of the things you kind of mentioned it was the like Big 12, the remaining eight, it, it's the biggest reason why all these teams in the Big 12 are are kind of um, in, a, in a weird spot where it's taking a hit is because of the uncertainty. Like nobody knows what's going to happen in the next five years, right? So the worst thing that you would want for your coaches to say, okay, I'm going to leave my job and I'm just going to stab, stab in the dark here. But let's say USF, South Florida, I'm going to leave this AAC job to take a to take a, a, a virtual quote unquote step up in competition to the Big 12. And then five years later, the Big 12 is right where the AAC is. Now I don't think that's going to happen, but I'm just I'm using that as kind of an example of like that uncertainty is still there, right? It could very well be taking that next step up. But at this point, nobody knows. And so it's a it's one of the problems that we had when it comes to hiring a football coach. Right. Like as much as we all love Joey McGuire now, he wasn't the first choice or the second choice. Right. And so it's it's um so that alone, when it comes to the remaining eight, is going to be a problem when you're trying to hire anybody at this point, is there's so much uncertainty surrounding the Big 12. So there's that. Then if you're a softball coach and any for whatever reason of why the last two coaches have been let go, resign, what have you, it has it perks your ears up, right? Whether it was for losses for uh, um you know what for for player abuse for whatever it is you have to question and say why did it what happened with the last two coaches all right one coach you're like oh that's just them they're just a bad egg whatever happened with them two coaches you really got to question at the program is it the is it the players is it you know what about it is creating this such a this type of environment 
it's not a great place to work for it, stuff like that. So it's one of the reasons why, and, and I don't know if you want to get into it now, but I actually, I have a prediction of who I think is going to get the job. And, um, uh, and it's a lot person that's a lot closer than, uh, it's actually probably the closest person to the program. Are you going to predict that Brooke Reed? I think Brooke uh, Reed's going to be serving the interim for the Big Twelve tournament. She's going to get the head coaching job. I think she's going to get the full time gig. I, you know, I mean, as long as she doesn't embarrass us in the first round of the tournament, it's, I think she's. I mean, even if she does, I don't, I don't think you should hold round. her. Whatever happens in the Big Twelve tournament against her. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying. Like, even either way, I, I still think I think with Brooke Reed, you get some type of continuity, right? You kind of leave. You kind of go into a new a new era, if you will. Um, and you, you, or, or, you, you, at least at the very least, you stabilize the program somewhat, you know, hiring somebody else, uh, from the outside. I were just, Melina, you just talked about, uh, Sammy Ward not being the first or second choice. Don't think you're probably going to get the first or second choice this go around either. So just stick with Brooke Reed, who has experience, who has, has, uh, uh played elsewhere as well. She's going to have the support, uh, from the administration. She's been out in, in West Texas for quite a while. I think that is the person you stick with. All right. So Melina, you've got your list. I've got a couple names as well. Uh, Albie thinks it's going to be Brooke Reed, who uh, has been, been there since 2013 as uh, uh, previously had stops at Mississippi Valley state and played for Western Kentucky. Melina, who, who's on your list? Yeah. So I got a couple of people. I don't, I don't think Brooke Reed would be the right choice. I know she's close to the program. I, I, I get what you're saying with the whole continuity thing, but I think you need somebody who is, proven who's been doing it for a long time knows how to build culture i'm making two phone calls if i'm ho cut the first call i'm making is to mike reed at ut tyler mike reed has been a coach for 20 seasons he is 750 and 159 he when they were a division three school he went to the world series six times ended up winning one of those and they went to d2 of course everybody said oh well, you know d3 is not that good come prove yourself in d2 obviously they're on probation for a little bit once they got out of probation, comes in, wins the Lone Star Conference, arguably one of the hardest conferences to win in Division Two. comes in and just wins it. Um, is going for uh, – going to host a regional, going to host a super regional, try to make his World Series bid in Division Two. He's a phenomenal coach. No can build a great culture. Knows how to recruit. Knows the Texas area. So I'm calling him. The second person I'm calling, maybe a little biased here, but I'm calling my old junior college coach, Kristen Zaleski. She was a junior college coach at Temple Junior College for a really long time, took us to a World Series, a couple years later ended up winning a World Series, then took herself to Texas A&M Corpus where she did a phenomenal job recruiting, was only there for a couple years. Um, then she took a, I would say, better gig at, she's now the volunteer assistant at Oklahoma. So she's learning from Patty Gasso. She's learning from the best. Her herself, an amazing coach. She was an amazing player, if I'm not mistaken. She leads the all-time stolen base record at Texas State, played professional softball. She really knows how to build a culture. Yeah, and I may sound a little biased. She knows how to how to build a culture. She knows how to get uh, players ready to play, and she knows how to win. So those are the two phone calls I'm making. Melina coming in with the uh, definitely not where I was looking, uh, but I like both of those. Those are fantastic. Oh, no. Mike, Mike Reed is at the top of my wish list. Now, I mentioned, I mentioned Brooke Reed is like the who I think is going to get the job permanently, but Mike Reed is Mike Reed very would much. be the best hire. But I honestly think you're going to have to throw – some more like money yeah. like you're gonna have to up the salary like that program is does not have good juju right now like no one's really been successful since shannon hayes i think you're gonna have to really convince somebody and money talks so i think you're, you're gonna have to up the salary there mike reed would probably be the best hire he's the person i'm calling uh i'm swinging way more for the fences here if you get my other person my other, other person on my wish list is it jerry glasgow at louisiana who is not killing it he was my third choice honestly he was my number three so 
That's a good choice. That that is my first head call. My call is to Jerry Glasgow. He has absolutely been killing it at Louisiana. He's got a lot of experience down in the South. Uh, he was an assistant at Texas A and M. Okay, uh, I look. He is he's doing wonderful things at Louisiana. Uh, Louisiana, like they're going to make the postseason this year, and they're playing well enough. They could potentially get a hosting opportunity. I am looking right now at uh, at D1 Softball's latest projection, and they've got Louisiana as the two seed in Austin at Texas. Um, Louisiana, if that, if that happens, oh, look out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Melina not happy about that. Uh, the, the second name on my list is going to be Rodney DeLong. Uh, he's currently the head coach at North Texas for the season there. Uh, it's not, I have not made the postseason, but he's been building that program up year after year after year after year. Um, look, I, I think I think DeLong comes in and you've got a situation where give him a couple of years and he's going to have things rolling. I, I think if you get Jerry Glasgow, he's going to show up and, and it's going to be a very quick turnaround. Um, those are the two names on my list. So that gives you that gives you four names, Albie. Uh, I have a who, fifth. Who else? Okay. This is, this is kind of a pipe dream. I don't think it would matter, but I would throw whatever money it is to Jennifer Rocha, the associate head coach over at Oklahoma. Whatever it takes, say would I give her a blank check and say name your price? We want to pry you from Oklahoma. Go to the best and take their number two if you can. Is is a, and that's what I would that's what I would do there. Is get Jennifer Rocha from Oklahoma. That's actually number one on my wish list. Mike Reed at number two. Um, I like Mike Reed a lot. Uh, everything that you said, winning a national championship as, at a at a quote unquote lower uh, university. Um, but it's uh, uh, Jennifer Rocha though. That's that's my number one. That's what she was coach of the year. She's already coached at Florida. I can't remember if she won a national championship at Florida or not, but like she's, she is yeah, an incredible resume, best associate assistant coach in the country. Go get her. But I think not all this none what I really do think they're going to stick with Brooke Reed at the end of the day. I really like Phillip's choices. I think Rodney DeLong would be a phenomenal option. Um, Jerry Glasgow was my number three after Mike Reed and Chris and Kristen Zaleski. Um, I think Jerry Glasgow is just phenomenal. He, uh, when he was at Georgia, I'm pretty sure they led the home run in the na- home runs category in the nation. You know, they had Alex Hughes, she was amazing. Then he went to A&M, made them an extremely powerful team. Then he took a short ride at Auburn before getting that head coaching job at ULL. I think Jerry Glasgow would be a great choice. Long would be another phenomenal choice. I think that guy's really big in a culture and would really do some great things there. So those are really two good choices. Good job, Philip. I like Thank those. Thank you. I did my research. Uh, Rocha was a graduate assistant at Oklahoma from 99 to 2001. An assistant in Oregon uh, had stops at Wichita State. Yes, she was an assistant at Florida for 11 seasons, was the associate head coach for one year, and then came over to Oklahoma where she's been the associate head coach since 2019. Um, Albie, I mean, we just, we just wrote an article for Red Raider Sports for you, a list of potential softball can- head coaching candidates that you that that Texas Tech should be calling. So you're you're welcome. This is just free content you guys can copy and paste. Uh, I mean, you have to type it out. I I, I, ain't, I ain't writing it. My days of writing <laughs> are over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. If Chris is listening to this, hey, get one of get one of guys about this. I ain't doing it. But but yeah. Now I mean, this is all all great options. I think these are all of them. If we if I we get any of the ones that we've mentioned here, I'd be happy. I just don't see. I think it's going to happen. I think we they go with the safe option, which is Brooke Reed, even if it's for another two years. <laughs> it, the the problem you run into that point where it's like you got to stick to somebody now. Like you need you you need and Holcutt's got a history of like kind of wanting to swing for the fences. He doesn't always hit, but 
he wants to try and get a name that that gets people excited. And that's my whole hesitation of like, if you, whoever you bring in next, like you better support them and they better be here for a while because I don't think, I really don't think the program can afford another big miss for a couple of years. I I think it's going to be really hard to recover. So, so that means that, and I said that we, we would go with the safe hire, but I will, you do bring up a good point. So Hoka early in his career at Tech, Went with the safe hire a lot. I mean, this, the safe hire was right there. Cliff Kingsbury was the safe hire, right? Um, our our women's basketball coach that his first hire that his name's escaping me right now, but that was a safe hire. A former Red Raider that that um, uh, that Marsha Sharp was coached that she was really gunning for. Um, like he did a lot of safe hires early on, and they really didn't work out. Like none of them pretty consistently worked out. And so then he started swinging. Honestly, Tim Tadlock was a safe hire. But then he started swinging for the fences afterwards. Like after a couple L's in the safe hire department, really started going after after more aggressive hires like a Tubby Smith, right? Like a, uh, um, uh, hell, getting a guy who had only taken on, had just taken on the UNLV job a week before and Chris Beard. So I do think that there's a chance he does attempt to swing for the fences. It's just like we've just talked about it. This job isn't the most appealing right now. And I, a lot of the names we just mentioned, uh, big thing that I kept thinking of is why would he take it? Like, you know, like why would glass, like Glasgow's a great example. Like, like Jerry Glasgow, you got a pretty good gig there in Louisiana. Like, would you really take a job over at Texas tech? Who, like we said, with the big 12, where it is, where the program is, is it really going to be, do you really believe that it's going to be easier to potentially win a national championship at tech in the next three, four or five years as a world versus where you currently have your program in Louisiana? He might say no. So Hey, that's why I said money talks. Like they're going to have to up the salary. They're going to have to offer like some good amount of money for somebody to be like, okay, I think I can handle, you know, that amount of money and take the chance. Absolutely. Like no matter how bad the opportunity is, it's always an opportunity for somebody and people are always looking for an opportunity. So you just, you never know. You got to swing for it. You are upgrading the softball facilities. So there's that, there's that too. So it gives somebody opportunity to do it in their vision in their mind. So there's, there's that, that's another appealing piece of it, but well, look with Oklahoma and Texas leaving UCF coming in is going to be awesome. Uh, BYU is solid as an OSU fan. Like, don't get me wrong. Dominating the big 12 will be fun, but for the conference, you're looking at it, the problems this year for Oklahoma, Oklahoma state and Texas, you look at the non-conference schedule and it's great. But then you look at what happens to overall schedule and the rest of the big 12 is dragging it down. So we need to see some other teams step up. Uh, it's a down year for Iowa state. It's a down year for Baylor, but we, we it, there is room in this conference for another two or two teams to really become really good and competitive alongside Oklahoma State and UCF. Um, so we'll certainly see how what Texas Tech does. Alvie, you and there's awesome. so much talent. Yeah, real quick, that's the thing I'm gonna say is there's so much talent in West Texas too, and in the South Plains too. Like it's not a like in in basketball, right? It's not like it's a, a hotbed for recruiting talent on the men and women's side for basketball. But for softball, it's right there. It's one. It's, it's how Tim Tadlock's been able to uh, help the baseball team out so much. He's just recruiting to his backyard. He's saying, hey, East New Mexico, West Oklahoma, West Texas, come to Texas Tech. And then from there, he's able to recruit elsewhere. But, like, so softball is very similar. And Sammy Ward hit the recruit, the transfer portal pretty hard. Um, the next coach may do the same, but they also don't have to. Like, it's right in your backyard. And I actually got some tweets about from uh, a couple people saying the same thing. So I know I'm not crazy. Not crazy at all. Uh, everybody, if you are a Texas Tech fan or not, make sure that you are subscribed to Tortillas and Takes wherever you listen to podcasts. They are, of course, the Texas Tech podcast of the 1012 Network, the podcast network that loves the Big 12 
especially the teams that are sticking around. Haha. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Kind of. <clears throat> uh, Albie, appreciate your time, man. And uh, can't wait to hear the next episode. Thank you very much. Always a fun time being on this podcast. All right, Melina, you and I, we got to make picks. There are some, uh, there's softball going on this weekend in the Big 12. Uh, obviously, the biggest one, I mean, it's Bedlam. The Big 12 will be decided by Bedlam again this season. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State coming in with identical Big 12 records, both 14 and 1. The series last year went to Oklahoma 2 to 1. That one was in Stillwater. This one is in Norman. Ugh. I am nervous, but man, I am excited because Thursday's game is on ESPN. Friday's game is on ESPN 2 and Saturday's game is on ESPN U. Thursday night, 7 p.m. prime time on ESPN, Bedlam softball. The state of Oklahoma will be watching, assuming that the weather is not so severe that all you can watch. Well, no, maybe ESPN, so you won't have to have David Payne or anybody else uh, cutting in with severe weather coverage. Melina, what's your pick here? I'm so excited for this one. Um, I really, I really do think that Oklahoma State will take one. Kelly Maxwell, an absolute star. Um, uh, I, it's just so hard for me to, you know, be a fan of somebody on Oklahoma State, but I have to be. 1.04 ERA, 221 Ks. She's just amazing. This is going to be an absolute pitcher's duel. You got OU, Trotwine, May, Ball. Then you got Maxwell. We'll see if Ellis gets to throw. But then you got Day, who's d- doing a better job. The offense is just crazy. Uh, obviously. Oklahoma State's offense not as great as it was last year. Um, you, I'm really looking for Kaylee Naomi and Haley Busby and uh, Busby to step up. Last year combined they had 33 home runs. This year combined they only have nine. That's just wild to me. I mean, where did the production go? Um, just kind of blows my mind. But you know, Pennington stepping up, Cottrell stepping up, Factor stepping up. Each have 10 home runs. They combined for 30. Uh, but like I said, absolute pitchers duel. I think Kelly Maxwell is a star. She's gonna love the stage, love the prime time. I think Oklahoma State takes one. Oklahoma will win the series. It's going to be insane. Norman's going to be rocking. But great for softball, great for television. I'm really excited that they get this primetime game on Thursday. Part of me wanted to be a homer and just just take OSU 2-1 just because. But I, I can't. But I agree with you. I think Oklahoma State gets one of these games. I know it's in Norman. It's going to be tough. Oklahoma State coming off back-to-back 2-1 losses to Florida State. Uh, Kelly Maxwell did everything she could in game one. OSU could not bring in opportunities to to home plate. Uh, And in game two, Morgan Day, who played exceptionally well against Texas in the third game of that series, and then exceptionally well in game two against uh, Florida State on the road uh, with with Miranda Ellis dealing with a, a significant bicep injury, she was able to hit the game. So we expect her to to uh, to uh, to take the plate, but not necessarily the mound this weekend against Oklahoma. Of course, this is a pitcher duel. I mean, look what we got here. We got the USA Team USA softball, the US 2022 USA softball collegiate player of the year, top ten finalists. A few names we might uh, recognize: Jordy Ball, freshman pitcher for Oklahoma; Kelly Maxwell, redshirt junior pitcher from Oklahoma State, and then, of course, uh, Grace Lyons, infielder for Oklahoma, and Jocelyn Allo, because, of course, the uh, home run queen for Oklahoma, also among the 10 finalists. we got a matchup between... Where's Janae Jefferson in that list? Come on. Uh, includes, let's see, Daniel Williams of Northwestern pitcher, uh, Keely Rochard of Virginia Tech pitcher, Sydney McKinney, uh, who's been tearing it up for Wichita State. She's been hitting lights out. Uh, Bailey Klingler of Washington, Daniel Gibson of Arkansas, and uh, Georgina Korig, pitcher for South Florida, who's been lights out as well. Um, I mean, it, there's a reason this game is on ESPN. We just named four of the top 10 finalists for player of the year will be competing 
in this game. I expect a Thursday night showdown between Jordy Ball and Kelly Maxwell. If we don't get that, I think I'm going to be a little bit disappointed because that will be a 1-0-2-1 kind of game. I would fully expect. I will go. I will agree with you. Oklahoma wins the series. I have no doubt that they will. Um, and I, but I, I am fingers crossed, hoping and praying Oklahoma State can nag one or nab one on the road in Norman. <clears throat> okay, we do have a couple other series we need to talk about. Also going on, Texas Tech is not playing this week weekend. Their season, regular season, is done. Part of probably why the decision to uh, to move on from Sandy Ward was made this past week. Uh, Kansas traveling to Iowa State. Look, here's the deal: with Iowa State taking two of three from Baylor last week. There are no other. The only Big 12 teams taking part in postseason are Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas. All three hoping to get. Uh, Oklahoma is probably going to be the number one overall seed. OSU hoping for a top eight seed. Texas hoping that they can host. So no offense to Iowa State or Kansas, but these are two teams whose seasons will be over after the Big 12 tournament in Oklahoma City. But I still think we should make picks for this. Uh, Melina, I'm, I'm taking Iowa State to win this one at home. I, again, I don't think any of the other four teams are good enough to pick them to sweep anybody. So I will take Iowa state two to one over Kansas. Yeah. I'll take Iowa state two to one too. I hate to say it, but not the most exciting series. It's not a series that people are going to be dying to watch. I agree with you. No one's good enough to sweep anybody unless you know, you're somebody like Oklahoma state, Oklahoma, even Texas struggles in that department a little bit. Um, so I got, Iowa state two to one. The other one, Texas and Baylor. This one a little interesting. Texas will travel to Baylor on Friday to play at in Waco, and then Saturday and Sunday's games will be taking part in Austin at Texas. Again, Texas trying to uh, lock in an opportunity to host a regional. As we mentioned, the latest proje- uh, field of 64 projection from D1 Softball has Texas as the 15 seed, so they would be hosting. I think for Texas to to guarantee that you kind of want to sweep Baylor and then perform well enough in Oklahoma City to feel comfortable. That said, Melina, I'm taking Texas 2 to 1. Yeah, um it, it's scary. I I'm not going to be that mad at you, but obviously yeah, I'm going to take Texas to sweep this series. They have to. They're fighting for a regional bid. If they want that regional, they have to sweep Baylor and they have to perform well at that Big 12 tournament in Oklahoma City. Uh so I got them sweeping. Um for the weekend i'm picking baylor to, here's my thing i'm picking baylor to win friday if they don't win friday they won't win one that's my I mean, that's just how it is but I, I i think they might be able to snag one in waco on friday night but we will see um the texas baylor games uh friday is on espn plus saturday and sunday on longhorn network every game of iowa state kansas is available on espn plus and as we mentioned bedlam gets underway thursday not friday espn on thursday espn 2 on friday espn u on Saturday. Uh, and of course, postseason play will be happening soon. Melina, appreciate it. Always fun. I, I'm sad because our, our time together is going to be coming to a close very soon. The season is almost over. Not soon. Not yet. Not yet. So uh, we won't, won't get all teary-eyed and say goodbye just yet. Uh, but I know you're looking forward to watching uh, Texas and, and rooting hard for them to host a regional. So uh, do yourselves a favor, everybody. Follow us on Twitter at 1012network, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network, Instagram at 1012pod. Uh, oh, how did I forget to do the oh-so-important ad read with our good friends at Homefield Apparel, who just launched a new Iowa State basketball shirt, and it's phenomenal. They launched two West Virginia shirts that were phenomenal. The refreshes continue. A big new Saturday season four starts soon. There's so much to get excited about from Homefield Apparel, the good brand. So what you need to remember is the promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, gets you 15% off your first order on the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will ever see. They have Texas. 
Kansas, West Virginia, Iowa State, Baylor, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State. They've got UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU. Those are among the more than 100 schools they have available. If there is a uh, Power 5 school that is not currently available on Homeville Apparel, there's a, a good bet they might show up in Big News Saturday Season 4. I can't make any promises as to who's going to show up. Yes, I know who's going to show up. I'm not allowed to give away any details. There is one more week of refreshes next week. I would say keep your eyes on that as well. So don't forget Homefield Apparel, homefieldapparel.com, promo code NETWORK12 gets you 15% off your first purchase. Uh, if you are a fan of one of the 1012 Network podcasts, we all have our own promo codes. Uh, feel free to use any of them, okay? Use whichever one. If you're an Iowa State fan, a West Virginia fan, a Texas Tech fan, uh, go listen to your favorite show, get their promo code, use it. It's not going to hurt my feelings. As long as you're using a network promo code, it makes my heart happy, especially if it means you're rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel possible. Uh, do yourselves a favor. Go follow Melina on Twitter. We're going to keep growing her Twitter following at Melina Sanch, S-A-N-C-H-4. we got a baseball interview coming up. It's a fantastic one. You're going to love it. Stick around for that. Current and former athletes, members of the athletic department, and of course the best fans in the country all make up a very special group we like to call the Cyclone Family. Join me, Jamie Steyer Johnson, as I bring you closer to the people that make Iowa State unique each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. Some names you may know, while others may be new to you, but one thing's for sure, this is one family reunion you won't want to miss. Each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. Hey there, 1012 Network listeners. This is Dustin from the Scott Nolman Podcast, the original Houston Cougar athletics podcast, and the latest member of the 1012 Network. Uh, my co-host, Sam, do you want to tell the fine folks what the Scott Nolman Podcast is all about? I sure do. We come on here at least once a week and we talk all things going on in the world of Houston Cougar sports. Plus, we usually find time for some of what's going on in our future conference, our current conference, and really the college sports world at large. We're not just a football, men's basketball podcast. We really pride ourselves here on the fact that every single team that wears the Scarlet and Albino in Houston and their jerseys gets time on our show. Plus, from time to time, we bring on some guests ranging from opposing team experts to even former Olympic great Carl Lewis. So be sure to search the Scott and Holman podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, we spell podcast P-A-W-D cast because we are oh so funny like that. Man, the end of college baseball regular season is getting here so much faster than I thought it was. We spent half the season going, we'll talk more college baseball. We got plenty of time, plenty of time. And then I turned around last week and was like, oh, we, we're almost done. We've got to, we've got to talk. Loved having Randy last week. Very excited to have two guys. Love to have on the show this week. The boys of College Baseball Nation, our personal favorite college baseball website. John, Kyle, you guys are awesome. Welcome back. Thanks for having us. Don't don't sleep on college baseball. You got you got to up that college baseball coverage. I know we like dove in on softball, and I love college softball. Like I think it's 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 quickly becoming at least my number three, if not number two, favorite sport. I enjoy college baseball postseason so much. It's so incredibly underrated. Having regional play going on, games all day. Like I just I need I it's it's not quite March Madness, but I don't think it gets enough love. Like put I want as many games on quad octo box whatever i can get once regional play starts just give me all the the regional play i can possibly have all day long season softball is a lot of fun too to watch though because regular season softball like the teams at the top don't lose that much during the regular season but then when you get to the postseason then it's like the top teams are meeting each other and it's like really good softball to watch yeah just incredible stuff and you know with with baseball regionals 
every year we go and it's like, all right, these are the 16 hosts. Like, you know, four or five of those host schools are probably going to lose to a team you don't expect. And then you just, you just want to see which mid-major that we didn't see coming make it as a, as a two or a three seed uh, into supers or all the way to Omaha, which is just a ton of fun. I just, I love that stuff. I think it's, I think it's fun for the sport. Um, you know, like like basketball, like we want to see the upsets. You know, we're going to get the best teams in the end are going to probably win, but the upsets are fun as a as a casual fan, not of the team who lost the regional, but as a casual fan, like I think it's exciting to see, like knowing a Coastal Carolina could go and win the whole dang thing. I love that. Yeah, especially in college baseball, if you have just a few pitchers that are either elite pitchers or pitching above above their level come time for the postseason, that can really carry you all the way through a regional and then uh, anything can happen in a two out of three game series in a super. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're going to talk a little Big 12 and I'm very excited to talk with you guys about your CBR ratings. And let's just, let's start there. Um, for those who don't know, obviously we have the RPI, which is a, a huge factor in determining who gets to host a regional, who makes it to the postseason. Uh, we've Warren Nolan has had his kind of RPI version as well. It's a little bit different, but you guys have put out the CBR, uh, which is kind of a modified RPI stat uh, that has done very, very well. Uh, in 2021, it correctly picked eight, uh, the eight, top eight seeds and 14 of the 16 regional hosts, uh, which I think is, is fantastic. Very successful in year one. It's looked even better in year two. You've integrated it with the website even better. Um, just kind of explain what does CBR mean and, and, and how does it kind of differentiate from just straight RPI? Yeah, so I think first off, it's important to note that the RPI matters in college baseball. I think there's a whole host of arguments to be made against using the RPI. At the end of the day, it's one of the few things that we know the committee uses to make judgments about teams. But each year, the RPI always has a few anomalies that don't really play out very well. They aren't very predictive in terms of, of who ends up hosting. And I think a really key one right now, if you look at it, is something like Dallas Baptist, who's been living in the top five, top 10 in the RPI, even though they're, they've lost their last three series, they're struggling to, to stay at 500 in the Missouri Valley. And so we were seeking something that could be a little bit more predictive so that when you look at this list, you can say, okay, I have a better understanding of, of where the bubble is or who's going to host and who's not going to host. So like you said, it's a modified RPI statistic. So it's largely based on, on RPI. But it adds a few other things in, like conference record and conference RPI are two of the biggest factors. And I think that's kind of a, a thing that you see played out a lot. Like, hey, you got to get to at least 500 in your conference to get in that large bid, for instance. And that's a huge thing that keeps teams back. Um, so uh, you, you might see that teams that are below 500 have a penalty in the CBR. And likewise, if, if you're the number nine or 10 team in the ACC or SEC or number five or six team in the Big 12, you still have a legitimate shot at getting in, and that's largely due to conference RPI. So the stronger conferences end up with more teams. So all those things together make the CBR. And yeah, it's been reasonably successful. I think it's a useful tool just to look at the delta between RPI and CBR. And so if you see like, oh, hey, our CBR is higher than our RPI, that means there's like something else going on beyond, C uh, beyond the RPI that might end up helping us get into the, the tournament. Yeah, and you guys, you have it on the website, collegebaseball.info forward slash CBR. You guys can go check it out. And, and, it, and it shows your CBR rank at one end and RPI at the other. And, you know, a lot of them is pretty close together. We look at Oklahoma State, 11 in CBR, 13 in RPI, Tennessee, number one across the board, Auburn, uh, one spot difference. But then you get a couple that are a little bit more drastic. Um, we go down to say like, uh, I always had one, West Virginia, 
42 in the RPI, but 33 in the CBR. If you're a West Virginia fan, you're, you're feeling better looking at your rating as far as their potential uh, postseason opportunity of just getting to make it. Uh, let's see. I saw one a minute ago that was really big different. Okay, Georgia Southern, 7 in the RPI, 10 in CBR. And that's going to matter as far as hosting. Uh, I, I do think it's interesting. So I, I am curious. I want to ask you this. Oh, here's my favorite one. Wake Forest, <clears throat> 28 in the RPI. 41 in, in CBR. Sorry, Wake Forest. Uh, yeah. That's what happens bad. when you go below 500 in conference. It's, it's not a good look. And that's just the ACC, right? It yeah. kind of cannibalizes itself. It happens. I'm, I'm, so I want to ask this. It was last updated. We're, we're talking on, on May 3rd. Uh, this was last updated on the 1st. Um, your projection then from the CBR right now is that you feel pretty good of if the if the season ended today and we were going to set to announce who we're going to host regionals and who is going to make it that the the 16 teams one through 16 have a good shot at hosting likely as the seed they are listed or just as hosting a regional in general yeah that's a really good question so i think one of the issues with with rpi maybe features depending on who you ask is that it can be the RPI itself can be fairly volatile even late in the season. So I would say that we're what, three weeks away from the end of the regular season in college baseball. I think there are definitely certain teams on here you're starting to feel pretty darn good about hosting a regional. I think there's a few here where they just have some bad RPI games coming up, and that's particularly in the mid major round. And so you'll probably see them dropping. So I would say. You know, move towards the top of this list, you feel pretty good that they're going to be hosting. Uh, I would say the, the strongest predictive value is going to be right before the NCAA committee actually makes its selections. Okay. Well, just, and so that, that makes me always curious, you know, we, we compare it to, to college basketball and March Madness. We always keep track of, of net rankings because you feel like, okay, where are we, what do we need to do in the next few weeks? What do we, you know, what, what, with the path that lay before us? What do we need to do to either improve our standing or just try to try to stay where we are? You know, that's that's something that we always pay attention to. Um, so, so that leads my question with the RPI with with baseball and, and your CBR. Like, how does a fan of a college baseball team utilize this to try and figure out kind of their current standing and what their team needs to do? Obviously, you're like, I'd love to win every single game the rest of the way, and then we're going to feel great. But we're having realistic conversations, especially in baseball, where it's really hard to sweep a team uh, on a three-game you know, weekend series. How, how do you use this to say, okay, w- w- how should I feel about my team's postseason hopes and, and potentially what, what they need to do the rest of the way uh, to feel good come selection day that, that my team's going to be able to make it to a regional? Yeah, I would say that if you're looking for likelihood of hosting, I would say look in the top 20. And uh, as as the season winds down, I think that's going to be pretty predictive. I think the cutoff line for getting into the tournament for CBR tends to be in the 45 to 50 range. That's going to probably be moving up as in harder to get in as we see conference tournaments playing out. And if there's any bid stealers from some of those mid-major conferences that maybe are only a one bid league but they do have that one team that if they don't win their conference tournament they still might have a, a shot at an art at large bid so then it becomes a, a little bit messier i think one of the things that's most challenging about rpi cbr all this together is that rpi doesn't actually care about head to head so rpi doesn't care about who you beat and what, it, what RPI entails is your record plus your opponent's record plus your opponent's opponent's record. So I think if you're, if you're looking at your team right now, 
75% of what, uh, what goes into how good your team is perceived by the committee is not the actual games that your teams win, win and loses. So I think look ahead at your upcoming schedule, look for high RPI teams. If they're on there, you're going to get a boost, win some games and you'll probably be all right. But if you have any low RPI teams coming up, then that's something to be a little bit concerned about late in the season. If you're on the hosting bubble or if you're on the bubble to make the tournament altogether. So what you're saying is uh, play good teams. Definitely don't lose to bad teams. That's beat the bad ones for sure. And if you're going to lose a game, don't lose it. Just lose to the good teams. Got it. Uh, you said somewhere between 45 and 50 as far as CVR numbers go. From the Big 12, uh, obviously Oklahoma State looking at a, a potentially maybe then get to the top eight right now, sitting at 11 in the CVR, 13 in the RPI. Uh so they got to feel pretty good about potentially hosting uh, regional Texas at 19 uh, TCU at 26, Oklahoma at 29. These are CBR, by the way, West Virginia at 33, all the teams that I would fully expect to make it in postseason. The one team that I certainly expected, uh, but now I'm starting to have some real questions based off what they still have left. They're sitting, I think closer to the bubble than fans would like to hear Texas tech sitting at 44 in the CBR rankings. I believe they're around 50, 51 in the, in the RPI. Uh, you said that line between 45 and 50, Texas Tech getting a, a series win at Baylor, though they did drop a game to Baylor. The, you know, Texas Tech really struggling on the road. I mean, if you're Texas Tech, you still have a road series. That, you're off this weekend. No no game this weekend, no Big 12, no anything. Just taking the weekend off, which uh, we've talked about could be a good thing for them. Could be a bad thing. We'll certainly see. Uh, they've only got two full weekend series left, three games at Oklahoma State not this coming weekend, but the weekend after, and three games at home against Oklahoma. Obviously, both good RPI, CBR teams, as we've talked about. But if you're Texas Tech sitting there, I think closer to the bubble than they would like to feel. I mean, realistically, it's hard to say, ah, Texas Tech, they should make the postseason. They always do. But if you're a Texas Tech fan, like, how, how should you be feeling right now looking at what you have left on the schedule? Kyle, we did, the, we did our bracketology discussion yesterday i think i think you agree we feel pretty confident that texas tech will make it in yeah They're in good position right now in big 12 standings at least and i think the key is so warren nolan has this cool feature predicted rpi um texas tech is not looking well in that but i think that they will do i think they will climb up just with with playing games at um at oklahoma state will really help and then the game against oklahoma and then a little bit that that game against Evelyn Christian, like they they lost that last one at home, but like I don't know, it's it's a little bit of a low game, but it's on the road. Um, I think I think they're safe. Um, well, we didn't have them on the bubble, but if they go and lose all these games, next games left, then they'll probably be out. So win your games, and yeah, I think yeah. I think they're safe. There's a path in for them for sure. I think that another thing that's important to know about the RPI is that RPI count road wins basically double compared to mm -hmm. home wins. So if you have some road wins left on your schedule, win one or two of them, uh, Texas Tech should be should be okay. We 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 did not include them in our bubble discussion very very long. We we think that they'll make it in. Tech with road game at Abilene Christian that we played tonight. So when this podcast comes out, we'll already know the result of that game. Yep. Then as you mentioned, a weekend off all by three games at Oklahoma State and then three games at home against Oklahoma. That's good. Not on the bubble. That's positive. Uh, I mean, for from your perspective, uh, barring a team making a run through, or I guess uh, Arlington now, not Oklahoma City, uh, and, and winning the Big 12 tournament, I feel pretty safe in saying, 
those six teams we mentioned, OSU, TCU, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, West Virginia, Texas, are the Big 12 teams who are going to make the postseason. Unless West, again, Baylor, Kansas State, Kansas, all sitting way under 500 in conference play. I don't see any of them with a path outside of, again, a run through Arlington. I think that that nails it. I think I find it really hard to see those six teams not getting in. I think they all have pretty clear paths to the postseason. There's still enough games left that if, if you lose them all or something, you know, if you get swept back to back Big 12 series, that's going to be the end of it. Texas has to be a little bit concerned about where they are in the Big 12 standings in sixth place, right at 500. Their RPI is so high, though, that as long as they stay around 500, they should be okay. I think that there's a, a path forward for seven teams. I think, like you're saying, if there's a run in the Big 12 tournament, a seventh team could get in. And I think that we, we've seen that happen before with the Big 12. It would be pretty tough to do and that might come at the expense of a, a West Virginia or something for example but I think it's a possibility yeah and West West Virginia was when we did the exercise yesterday was the last team in on our bubble like last four in first four out they were our last one in and that's just a feature of conference record standings and RPI and all that stuff so it was close and I, I mean they have they have the opportunity in front of them to play Texas this weekend I think and then they have Oklahoma I lost it yeah, at Oklahoma and Kansas State. So it's the road is there for them to, to do it if they win that Oklahoma series, for example. Yeah, again, we got they have uh, this weekend three games against Texas in Morgantown, which is huge for them. They played pretty well at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, a game against Pitt at home, three game series at Oklahoma, and then three games against Kansas State at home. Um, I mean, yeah, for West Virginia, I mean, it. They're sitting at nine and six in conference play. You're three games above 500. If you finish above 500, or I mean, really, if you finish 500 or better in the Big 12, you should absolutely make the postseason. I just, that's, unless your non-conference schedule was just ridiculously bad. Um, I feel pretty confident saying if you finished at 500 or better in conference play, you should make postseason. At nine and six with nine conference games left to go, Kansas State, three of them, no offense to Kansas State, but I mean, that's a series that West Virginia should win. You get Texas at home. You'd like to grab one, maybe two of those. And then three games at Oklahoma. You've got to feel pretty good about finishing at 500 or better in Big 12 play. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I think that what's going to be tricky for them and for Texas Tech is if you finish a game below 500 or finish really close to 500, I don't know if those two teams have done enough in non-conference. Texas Tech is a little bit of an anomaly because they've had some pretty bad midweek losses, which have really drugged down their their RPI. Um, So I think that... uh, it takes a special, an especially weird thing on your resume not to get in at 500 in the Big 12. I mean, looking at Warren Nolan, non-conference strength of schedule for West Virginia was 112th. Non-conference strength of schedule for Texas Tech, 151st. And when, when I had you guys on before the season and we were kind of drafting Big 12 non-conference series, we didn't we, we mentioned Texas Tech's non-conference schedule wasn't exactly difficult um and west virginia's had some sneaky good games in it but it wasn't just loaded as well and so if you're texas tech or west virginia you feel good right now but i mean those are two things that if if you're in a tough situation especially with conference record that you could come back to bite you in when it comes to to selection day just because the non-conference strength of schedule being as low as it is i think you hit the nail on the head right there i think that especially i mean i think Texas Tech is, is an interesting case study because they play so well at home. Sometimes they can struggle a little bit away from home, but the RPI loves those road wins. 
And if you look at some of the, the road non-conference games recently that Texas Tech has had, they played two at Grand Canyon, which felt like that could have been a decent RPI road win, and they lost both those games. And uh, like Kyle mentioned, they lost to Abilene Christian at home, so uh, and they lost at New Mexico. So they've been really struggling to get wins on the road, which is a big part of the RPI, that sweep at TCU. So yeah, Texas Tech uh, has now... They just had a series on the road at Baylor and a, a string now of four more road games. Uh, win a couple of those and they should feel pretty good. Yeah, Texas Tech is 23 in Lubbock. Uh, true road or neutral, they are 11 and 13, which isn't terrible. It's a lot better than it was before they went to Waco and won two or three, but 11 and 13 on the road, not ideal, obviously. Uh Okay, we talked with with our good friend Randy Heights last week about the end of the season being somewhat wild in the Big Twelve, um, and then it, I mean, I think the past weekend kind of that's what we got. Oklahoma State somehow going on the road to Austin in a series that scared me as an OSU fan and came away with a a sweep, including a huge come from behind uh, win on Sunday with a ten run inning. Uh, OSU sits atop the standings at thirteen and five. TCU one game back. Texas Tech, we've talked about being a little, you know, on the bubble. They're sitting at third in conference play at eleven and seven, just two games back from Oklahoma State, and still having OSU on the schedule. Um, Oklahoma at nine and six. West Virginia at nine and six. Texas at nine and nine. I'm just going to go ahead and take Texas kind of out of this running. I don't feel like they're still in it for the Big Twelve. And again, it's wild. They're only four games back in the standings with Oklahoma State. So. Lots of things can happen, but I feel pretty comfortable in saying, I'm going to go ahead and take Texas out of this. I'm going to go ahead and take Oklahoma and West Virginia out of this. It feels to me like a three-team race between OSU, TCU, and Texas Tech for the Big 12. How do you guys feel about this Big 12 race with, with just three weeks left in the regular season? Give me Oklahoma State. I think that yeah. they should be the pretty clear favorites here. They have Texas Tech coming in at home. And it's funny, yeah, how we're talking about how Texas Tech you know, lose a series or two and they might fall off the bubble win a series of two and they might win the big 12. It feels kind of a oh, weird, <laughs> weird place to be if you're Texas Tech. But Oklahoma State has that one game lead. I think Oklahoma State has uh, uh, an edge compared to the rest of the conference in almost all facets of the game. I think Oklahoma State has demonstrated that they're, they're playing the best baseball right now. Uh, wild to think saying that Texas started the year with the pitching staff barely giving up a run in the first couple weeks of the season. But the wheels came off there with, with the Tanner Witt injury and bullpen being exposed Oklahoma State sweeping Texas I think is a real real statement win for the Cowboys and I would I would say even heavy favorites to win the Big 12 right now in my opinion yeah and TCU definitely has a chance say Oklahoma State slips up this weekend or uh, next weekend against Tech um, TCU has an easier schedule overall they have Oklahoma this week and then at Kansas uh, so you like the way that shapes up for TCU schedule if maybe if they don't, if Texas, if Oklahoma State doesn't win this series, or if they lose an extra game against Baylor or something that they weren't expecting, but yes, I agree. Oklahoma State is the heavy favorite. I wouldn't pick anything else right now. It's weird how TCU has really played poorly on the road. Yeah, yeah. TCU <laughs> has one great series win on the road, and that's Oklahoma State, which obviously is a big one, especially if you're chasing down Oklahoma State in the standings. Doesn't hurt. They lost, they, they lost at Kentucky. They lost a series at Texas. They just lost two games at Florida State. I mean, they're below 500 on the road. I think that that is—it's really hard to win win the conference when you're losing that many games on the road. 
Yeah, eight and ten in true road games. But if you throw in the neutral side games, they are hold on math, uh, thirteen and eleven. So still better than Tech. Um, yeah, I I, I want to say OSU, but again, you guys made a really good point. You look at the schedules for what TCU and Oklahoma State have left. Both have a non-conference series. Oklahoma State playing three games against Southeast Missouri uh, this weekend, which I want to talk to you about in a minute. Uh, TCU will end the season with three games against Santa Clara at home. But TCU's got three games at home against Oklahoma. Three are on the road at Kansas. That is significantly, in theory, easier final six Big 12 games than OSU facing Texas Tech at home and three road games at Baylor. I mean, it is still a very, very tight race that with, I feel like Tech or OSU might almost be eliminated based off that OSU Tech series. Um, and then it's just kind of kind of come down to a matter of can TCU or OSU not only win their next home series, but who can sweep the, I want to, I hate to use the word inferior, but the <laughs> bottom of the conference opponent they have left on the road for OSU, it's Baylor, who is five and thirteen in conference play, twenty-two and twenty-two overall. And for TCU, it's Kansas, who's three and twelve in conference play, and eighteen and twenty-six overall. So you guys are picking OSU. I think I think I am with you. I just that is a very fine margin. And with TCU winning that series in Stillwater, uh, you know tiebreakers are what they are, even in baseball. Like I I think losing that series, winning that series for TCU. They've got to feel pretty good only being one game back at the amount of pressure they have on Oklahoma State for, for TCU to win the regular season. I, I I think this is going to be a very, very close race down to the end that it wouldn't shock me if they both end up with the same record and TCU just gets the tiebreaker because of the two games they won in Stillwater. I think that's fair. I think if I had to pick a total number of games Oklahoma State's going to win in those last two conference series, it would probably be five. I, I think that Oklahoma State should be considered pretty heavy favorite with Texas Tech coming on the road. Texas Tech's staff ERA is over five, and I, I know that Lubbock plays a factor in that, but I think that Oklahoma State is going to be all over that that pitching staff. And then I think at the end of the day, Baylor and Kansas probably aren't all that different in terms of, uh, like, it's, it's not what we're used to seeing from Baylor. Baylor's having a pretty rough year. I think that uh, Oklahoma State very easily could come away with a sweep in that series. All right, as the OSU fan here, I get to I get to play Homer uh, just for a second here. Um, okay, Oklahoma State with the, a non-conference series this weekend against Southeast Missouri State, three games in Stillwater, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, we talked about RPI. Uh, I believe that Southeast Missouri State's around, uh, let's see, they're 48th in RPI, according to uh, Warren Nolan. And you guys have them at 49th in the CBR. They're about 48th in the RPI, so it's around there. Um, this feels like a series that Oklahoma State should sweep. Uh, OSU currently, to me, playing for the potential for a top eight seed. I think you guys have, have noted that typically if you win the Big 12, you've got a pretty good shot at hosting a super regional, earning a top eight seed when it comes to postseason play. I mean, for Oklahoma State, you're one game up on TCU, but you lost that series. You're, you're RPI from a standpoint, you're, you're trying to get to that top eight seed because you'd love to have regionals and super regionals inside that beautiful ballpark i mean every single game from here on out is important with with the teams in front of you and behind you all jockeying for positioning i mean if osu can i want to say afford losses along the way where do those exist and kind of your thoughts just on this what seemed like it should be an easy non-conference series but now that we're here looks a little bit more challenging just based off of the success southeast missouri state has had to this point than than maybe we thought it would 
Don't you love it how there's three series left on their schedule, Southeast Missouri, Texas Tech, and Baylor, and Southeast Missouri is the highest RPI team of those three? We not would not have predicted that, I think, at the beginning of the season. That's a pretty fun stat there. Wow. I think it's weird. This series doesn't matter that much for Oklahoma State. Like, I think it's it's bad to lose games. Like, I don't know. That's not the hot. <laughs> you heard like, it here. <laughs> yeah. This is a series Oklahoma State will want to win, should win. This is a series that they could afford to have a mistake in. They could afford to get uh, get some bullpen rest or something like that for for the, the series they have coming up in the following weekend. Uh, I think this is one thing challenging about this is this is a pretty big series for Southeast Missouri. If Southeast Missouri wins this series, that takes a lot of pressure off them. I mean, at 48 in the RPI, 49 in the CBR, a series win like this for Southeast Missouri probably would propel them up five or 10 spots and would actually put them in a maybe position to get an at-large bid, which is not something, I mean, it's not easy for them to do, but it takes a lot of pressure off the rest of their season. So, you know, SEMO is going to be motivated when they come into Stillwater. SEMO, I like that. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you not call them that? I, that's what I. I, I don't. I don't call them anything. I don't know that <laughs> yeah, I. Re- it's true. <laughs> I reference Southeast Missouri enough to have a name or a nickname or catchphrase or anything. You got Simo. You got Sela. There's probably some other ones. <laughs> we just put uh, Southeast Missouri in our top fifty at number fifty, and there's no way I was going to take up all of that space on the graphic for Southeast Missouri State. So they they yeah. got shortened to Simo. <laughs> Ah, I see what you guys are doing. So you're ranking uh, SEMO right before they help play OSU just to help OSU in the standings. I see. Yeah, exactly. we have. yeah that's it's like <laughs> SEC football treatment. All right, let's get A&M ranked so that we can help uh, Alabama out here. Can we, can we rank Missouri at, at two and seven? Can we? No? No? All right. Uh, <laughs> you guys always appreciate your time. Awesome as always. Everybody do yourselves a favor and go to collegebaseball.info for College Baseball Nation, forward slash CBR, and check out the CBR rankings uh, and keep track of them. Because if you want to know if you got a sh- team has a shot to postseason or hosting, I think that's a great resource for us all to have. We all like different resources and different data so we can pull it all together to try and be as smart as possible. And uh, and, and you guys, John, Kyle, you just you do a fantastic job. Uh, I'm glad we're friends and that I can uh, call you up and, and get you on here whenever I can. Uh, plug the rest of it, Twitter, uh, personal, professional, all of it, guys. <laughs> yeah, let's just read off my whole CV right now. No, the <laughs> the things that are important at College Ball, Matt, is where we are on Twitter and Instagram. We also have the College of Baseball Nation podcast. Uh, be sure to follow us, reach out to us. We love interacting with fans, and that's how we get a lot of our content for our podcast is answering fan questions and, and the like. So, uh, Philip, thanks for having us on. Always appreciate the time. Uh, do follow them on Twitter. They put out the uh, the bubble, so you can kind of keep an eye on where your team is as far as potentially getting in or out, which is really nice. Um, I don't want to, like, spoilers or anything, but you guys are going to start putting out some uh, in, should be in, on the bubble stuff like we're used to seeing with, uh, with leading into March Madness on the site soon, correct? Yes, that is a draft right now on the website going up sometime later today, along with a brand new Field of 64 projection. So we have a, a lot of postseason content coming out. So if you're a Big 12 baseball fan, which if you're listening to this show, you probably are, especially this episode. College Baseball Nation. Okay, go check them out. We love these guys. They do a great job. Uh, I, I promise I will not wait another uh, three months to get you on again. Uh, we're going to do something. 
we got. I got. I think it's something fun. I don't know. We can need some fun postseason ideas here. I'm gonna. I'm gonna just bug you guys in the DM and uh, <laughs> harass you about how bad Mississippi State is some more and how good Oklahoma State is. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Podcast Network.